This is episode five of Hoops Forum, presented by Radius Athletics and a Quick Timeout Podcast. I'm Tony Miller, and I'm joined again this week by my co-host, Randy Sherman. As always, we want to thank our sponsors over at 323 Sports. If you're in the market for a team dealer, we'd strongly suggest you take a look at 323 Sports, whether it's uniforms, team gear, spirit wear, sports equipment. They can do it all for your sports program. To find out more, visit 323sports.com, or you can get in contact with a team rep today at sales at 323sports.com. They'll be sure to do it right for your sports program. We are at the time of year when probably around this time you are either finishing up your season. I know there's a few states who are just getting geared up with basketball, but I know some coaching friends even that have finished this week or are finishing up this week. Uh, some of you, if you're listening to this, you may be listening to it in the off season, middle of the off season, and you're evaluating how your team did this past season. So statistical profiles is the title of today's show. Randy, kind of why don't you talk a little bit more about what that means and how that will look like here over the next 30 minutes or so? Yeah, our, our discussion today will be mostly centered on the four factors, which if if you've listened to Tony's podcast, uh, follow either of us on Twitter. I'm sure you you're familiar with that concept. You know, four factors that are most important to winning. Uh, there was a great book called um, Basketball on Paper by Dean Oliver that that basically unpacked that effective field goal percentage, turnover percentage, the rebounding factor, offensive rebounding, and the free throw factor would be the four factors. And what I've done with the coaches I work with in the mentoring program that I lead is um, – we started, I think, four seasons ago getting members from all over the country to, to submit into a spreadsheet that we've kept to sort of, we call it our leaderboard of their data and just, just start to make observations about, um, you know, what's impacting our performances and how we can evaluate them both like in a game and then back away from it after a season and look at, look at what's really driving wins and losses on paper, on, 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 the, on the stat sheet. One of the things that we talked about um, on previous shows, talking about those four factors and some of you that have listened for a while, uh, the idea of maybe like what's the most important of the four factors uh, for you and for your team, that may vary a little bit. And that leads us in to our poll this week. Again, you can you can vote on those polls each week on our Twitter accounts. Those are both on my account and on Randy's account Uh, this week was just that. Which of the four factors are you emphasizing and emphasizing not just necessarily as what you think is important, but if I were to ask your players, what is the most important of the four factors? What would they say based off how you practice, the things that you talk about at halftime, um, the drills that you do? Randy, these four, big jump off when you get to that last one there, but even like the rank of it, we were talking about this beforehand. Why is this somewhat not surprising? Well, because if you were to read the book I referred to, Basketball on Paper, Shooting speaks to the effective field goal percentage factor. Turnovers obviously speaks to turnover percentage. Rebounding, offensive rebounding, which the inverse of which would be defensive rebounding. The the rebounding factor and the free throw factor, they're weighted in terms of wins and losses. Like one impacts it the most, the second most, the third most, and the fourth most. And this is the order. As you look at these four factors, a lot of coaches will ask, what, what's the goal then that I need to be shooting for for my team in order for us to have success uh, in the game? So is that the correct way to look at it, or should we be looking at it a different way? This data does help in goal setting. If you know kind of we look at models of, of teams in the past and you know championship-level teams, playoff-level teams, whatever you're aspiring to be as a, as a program, 
you can kind of set if, if that's where we want to go, this is what those teams look like on paper. But probably just like a more nuanced way to look at it would be is like we just need to be better than our opponent. Like if our field goal percentage is 50%, then our opponent needs to be less than that. If if our field goal effective field goal percentage is only 40, well, we can still win, but we need theirs needs to be less than that. <laughs> you know, so um I would say winning the factor would be uh the the proper goal. <laughs> For us, it was very difficult when you're not playing the same level of opponent every night. We one night will play a D1 school, and then that Saturday night we're playing a D3 school. Like that's a huge difference. Yeah, and uh, the similarities may be close, but you know that that could be heavily impacted. And that's something that I think is a reoccurring theme that we're trying to get coaches. Maybe they, we didn't plan for this, but getting coaches to think about is the game of basketball involves a lot of things that are out of your control just simply because of your opponent. Keep that in mind because you can be shooting for this target goal. And if you don't reach that target goal, you can end up very angry as a, as a coach. And that's almost like misplaced anger because you're not taking into consideration who was I playing last night? What, what was realistic for my team? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I would say though, that whether you're playing top ranked team in your league or the last place team in your league, that the the same things are going to lead to winning (laughs) And, and they're just harder to accomplish when you're outmanned, of course. So, all right. Uh, let's get into the, let's go ahead and get into the first slide. Then um, we want to kind of maybe talk about how we're going to look at this and then how that's going to impact what we're discussing as we go through this. Yeah. So what I did when you and I kind of kicked around this idea, we I reached out to some of the members of the program that I lead, the coaches that I work with, and just said, "Hey, send me a screenshot." And I know these are kind of small; the viewers may not be able to see them, but I'll, I'll go through the numbers or the pertinent ones at least. I asked for just, "Hey, send me a screenshot." I, what I thought I could do is just sort of like sometimes when I meet with a new coach and, and maybe it's the off season and I'm like, Hey, to get to know them and get to know their team, I want to start here. I was like, show me your stats from the Latin and most recent season. And, and that, that kind of helps me gauge what areas, you know, are most pressing second, most third, most fourth, so on. Right. And I thought I could just sort of like show coaches what, what that sounds like and, and what winning on paper at least looks like or losing on paper looks like. Yeah. So the first one you got called up is large high school girls. The, a, a coach, his, his team has an 18 and seven record. I know who this is. So I would update that to a 19 and seven record. They, they won last night. So this is a good team. The first number I'm looking at is sort of like an overall health number is points per possession. And this, this for high school girls at 0.89 is a good number. You know, you hear a lot about being 1.0 possession or higher for high school girls. That That is possible. I have seen it done. Like there are high school girls teams who are 1.0 or higher, but that's super elite. Along around one, along around 0.85, 0.87, that's when you start getting like into the good high school girls team. Um, yeah, so this team's at 0.89. So that's clearly in the good category reflected by their record. Another thing immediately is what I'm looking for is your points per possession versus your point, your opponent's points per possession. His opponent is at 0.64. So you can see there's quite a bit of margin there between his possessions and his opponent's possessions. And that's reflected in the 18 and seven winning record. Mm -hmm. When, when his team has the ball, they score a whole lot more than when his opponent does. Mm -hmm. Don't mean to oversimplify, but it's really that simple. 
What's up, coaches? This is Travis here with 323 Sports, your top choice for custom team apparel and equipment needs. And right now, we have fully custom sublimated face masks starting as low as $5.95 per mask. That's right, guys, only $5.95 for a completely custom performance face mask to protect you and your players as you meet each week. We also have gaiters and over-the-head face masks. Whatever the style, we got you covered. So be sure to reach out to us by emailing sales at 323sports.com to get in contact with one of our professional reps. Again, that's sales at 323sports.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you, and don't forget to do it right. Do you start tying the four factors together to help them get a better picture of how they're playing? I'm thinking as a coach, I'm looking at the points per possession, and I'm thinking, <coughs> like, okay, how – how can we create more possessions or how can we um, limit the other team's possessions? Shouldn't that Im- be impacted by the other factors? I wouldn't think of it as creating more or less possessions. We want their possessions to wh- however many there are to be, to be unsuccessful theirs and for ours to be successful. That's, that's the goal, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, one thing immediately, like when I look at points per possession, this team has a healthy one for a high school girls team, right? What goes into that? Effective field goal percentage. Effective field goal percentage is a stat that takes into account that a three-pointer is worth more than a two-pointer. It's different, slightly different than just raw field goal percentage in that it accounts that a three-point shot is worth more points when it goes in than a two-point shot. This team has a 43.5% effective field goal percentage. That's That's good. That's good for high school girls. You can see their opponent has a 35% effective field goal percentage. So again, more margin. That's a that's almost a 10% difference in the scoring stat. So we want to pull it apart from both directions. Like, like I want ours to be great and I want my opponents to be terrible. <laughs> so we want to pull that number apart from both directions. And he's got nearly 10 points of margin here in effective field goal percentage. One thing, if I was just like just scanning these numbers for this particular team, I'm looking for things he's doing well and things that they could do better. Um, even though they've got an 18 and seven record, and they're winning games, they're they're in the playoffs and advancing. What could they do better? I would say for this team, just at a glance, get to the free throw line a little bit more. 0.27 is their free throw factor. That's a little low. I've seen those as high as 0.4, 0.35. So a little bit more trips to the free throw line would be one thing. If you look at their opponents, their opponents are near are rebounding nearly one third of their misses, 32.7. So that's that's kind of at the beginning of not so hot. <laughs> mm. um, that that's um, that could that could be improved upon. So if I was meeting with this coach, those would be some areas that I would kind of uh, drill into. As a coach looks at this, because they may not have you available to them or haven't done this yet. Well, they should. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And, and haven't, or maybe they're not doing it as well as they should. I mean, a younger coach, like they just don't know necessarily. Yeah. So boil down what you have said, because you you've gone through this process, but now summarize this, what should they be looking, where should their eyes go first? Where should it go next? What's the overall picture? And does that, does that vary from team to team? Should that, could that vary from team to team? It can definitely vary. So the first number I'm looking at is points per possession. That's sort of the the stat that just sort of like is like a like if you that's like your overall health score. Then what what goes into that and what detracts from that? Effective field goal percentage and turnover percentage. Again, think of it like this. So like 
like if you were, if many coaches are, are also teachers, right? So you've had a student who, when they turn in, you know, say it's at the end of the grading term, they have 10 papers or assignments or tests or whatever, right? Or they're going to get in their term grade. You know, we're along about halfway through the term and they've, they've, they've turned in five of them and maybe they're making an A or a B now and then. And all of a sudden they just don't turn in a, they don't turn in one of their assignments. What does that do to their grade? That zero that they take on an assignment just drags it down like, like mm-hmm. dramatically. That's how I would say that a turnover is like taking a zero. A lot of times what completely undermines bad teams first is one of two things. They either can't score or they can't uh, protect the ball. The ship doesn't even get off the dock if we if those two things can't happen. Now, that yeah. being said, there are examples of plenty of teams. I, I work with a coach. I don't have his stats here today. He didn't give them to me, but like his offense is not great. It's like 0.8 something. But he was gone to the regional tournament the past two years here in Texas. Big you know, that's that's like going to the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament. So good team, but is really good on defense. So if I don't have a sexy offense, and not everyone does, maybe we just don't have those kind of kids, that doesn't mean you can't win games. You mm-hmm. just got to do it differently, right? Can this significantly change throughout the year? Maybe we're the bearer of bad news here, but like <laughs> what things maybe if they can't, is it just like, huh? Uh, if it can, what things can potentially change? So can it change? Can things significantly change? Or what are they looking for? And how how long into the season should they get an idea? Because this isn't, uh, you know, from the very beginning, we want to make sure this isn't like we made it to the playoffs. All right, let's look at this. All right, what do we what do we significantly need to yeah. change here so that we can win the championship this year? Yeah, that, that's probably not how I would go about it. <laughs> I, my observation, man, and this, again, I don't want to be any rain on anyone's parade, but like, you know, once you get enough sample size, like your first game of the year, you may play like a really bad team and or a really good team and your numbers come out looking really good or really bad. You know, that, you know, and you play another game and they normalize a little bit. So after you get, you know, maybe like a little bit into your season, five, six games, maybe like the sample size is there. I haven't seen them change a whole lot. Like it's kind of like this is kind of who you are. And that 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 may be bad news to some it may be um hard to hear but i watch these after i've been collecting them four years and the guy you know it's like about the second or third game and this guy's at 0.95 and then you know about two months later it's he's played 20 games he's maybe at 0.97 or 0.93 or whatever like it's kind of like that you mm-hmm. I, I would think more in terms of seasons as a leader of a program rather than games or weeks or something like that and making significant changes, you know, Mm -hmm. you've had enough that you've seen a lot of different coaches. You have the advantage of bringing all those together. So it's not just one program, five years, but it's, you know, 15, 20, 30 programs over the course of five years. Are there any kind of trends that matter? Yeah. I would say one, one, one observation would be we, we know that the 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 elite teams tend to be up around 1.0 or higher on the on the men's side on the boys side up 1.0 or higher it's very hard to do it without a three point game yeah the the only exception i would give i would offer a couple of exceptions to that you've got you've got just an athletic freak big man playing high school like like you mm-hmm. you you just happen to have like a dude in the, on the low post where where we don't even need to shoot threes we just get it into big tony and he goes to work and it's and it's worth and you know he's either going to score or get fouled right like yeah. that's that we can come away with a point per possession if we have that 
Another exception to that would be if you're able to shoot a bunch of layups, you can get to 1.0. What does that look like tactically? Usually like a pressing team. We maybe don't have a don't have great three-point shooting, but we just straight take the ball from you, steal, pass, pass, dunk, layup. Mm-hmm. We're, we're taking very high percentage shots. But those are sort of outlier ways to get there that like, you know, you – what, what you tend to see from teams that do kind of dwell in this space of, of you know, 0.9 something or higher on the girls' side or and 0.1 something or higher on the boys' side is they have three-point shooting. Do you feel like a three-point attempts to two-point attempts, is there something realistic high school-wise that we're even aiming for? Or is that – I've seen it kind of – I've seen winning look different in that regard. Again, like a team that's kind of got some size, you know, the nine and three team here that, that we were just looking at, I, I know their team. I know who this is, and they've got some size. They don't they don't really take a lot of threes, but but they're living up around 1.0 because of their their size. Mm-hmm. That that distribution can be slightly different based on roster composition and sort of you know the the the, the physical qualities of the team can impact that. So yeah, there's not really one sort of recipe. Um, I would say. You know, every once in a while, what I'll do just when I kind of want to begin a project, I'll log into like Synergy or, or check out like teamrankings.com or something like that and look at like, okay, let me find some college teams that are showing the propensity to be 1.0 or something, you know, have a really, you know, good, I would say some sort of common themes there is a great spacing. Like they, like they all sort of like, I could take a screenshot of like the Oregon women, the Villanova men. D3 Nebraska Wesleyan something like that like these and like they all have good positioning on the court like like they create width and depth with where they for lack of a better way just where they stand (laughs) that's another common quality I would say like even if you do have like the high school version of Shaq and you you're you're going to get to 1.0 that way like if you're crowding him and you know you're you're not you're not giving him space to be dominant then it may not play out that way for you right the last one I'll ask about just rebounding. What emphasizing defensive versus offensive rebounding? Like, well, how, how should we be thinking as coaches here? Well, it's definitely a category you don't want to be upside down in. I would say there's some other inputs into you know the style of defense you play. Some some can put you in better rebounding position than others. Uh, the the type of dudes you have can help quite a lot too, right? You know, like if you if you if you've got you know, guys who can go pull rebounds from above the rim, things like that. That that certainly helps. So what again, how should we be thinking about it from a macro level is we got to outperform our opponent in that in those categories. The decision I made to sort of pivot my coaching style away from, oh crap, we didn't rebound very well last night. So guess what we're doing tomorrow? Rebounding, block out, circle the wagons, we're gonna get, you know, block. Like I just quit sort of like doing that, like responding to emergencies. I just don't do that anymore. And I would, I would go as far to advise you or anyone else listening to just don't coach that way anymore. And just like, Hey, given this inherent flaw, this was a team that was undersized playing in big school, high school boys in an area that's got dudes, got athletes. He's not going to do well there. He can block out drill. He can, it's just not going to happen. So accentuate your positive, right? Like given this inherent flaw, what do we need to be not just good, but excellent at to offset it. Yeah. And his guy went six and nine because they they given that they can't rebound, you can't you can't afford to turn the ball over twenty three percent of the time. Then I went from a coach who did that, who like oh we missed a bunch of free throws, so we're going to go to practice tomorrow and 
and we're going to shoot a free throw and run a line for everyone we missed, or we didn't rebound worth the crap. We're going to get physical. We're going to get the blocking dummies out, put the bubble on the rim and bloody each other's nose and like all that crap. Like, stop. What can we do? What can we be great at? This is what we're going to work on. My mentality shifted. I said, this is what we're going to be great at. Spacing, transition, pressure man defense. If we got out rebounded and lost, my philosophy went from, oh, we're going to do all these drills tomorrow to work on a rebounding to, well, we just weren't good enough at running. We weren't good enough with our spacing to offset our rebounding issue last night. Can't be great at everything. And I think coaches... They don't like to hear that. Yeah, and not all problems are fixable with like, oh, yeah, here's the drill. Pull that drill out of the file, and that'll fix it. No, not all problems are fixable. Appreciate Randy and him contributing today. For Randy Sherman, I'm Tony Miller. We'll talk to you again next week on Hoops Forum.